Hello and welcome to With Faith in Mind. I'm Dan Hummel, today's host and the Director of University Engagement at Upper House. This episode is part of our series on Christian education at the crossroads, and we're welcoming Tiffany Malloy to the podcast. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Excited for our conversation. Me too. Uh, A little about Tiffany. She is the pastor of spiritual formation at Black Hawk Church, which is actually where I go. It's also where my wife works, full disclosure, (laughs) at the front end. Um, Also about Tiffany, uh, before she was the pastor of spiritual formation, she played a number of other roles at Black Hawk Church, including as an associate pastor at the downtown site of Black Hawk in Madison. And she has a bachelor's of science in education from the University of Missouri, Columbia, and an MA in Christian leadership from Asbury Theological Seminary. Tiffany, are you from Missouri? I am from Illinois. Okay. uh, Just a small town right outside St. Louis. Okay. Okay. What, what, what drew you to University of Missouri? Yeah, well, um, I had narrowed it down to three schools, and that was my closest school. And so when I visited the campus, it was kind of my my fallback school. I wasn't mm. really quite sure I wanted to go to a state school, and I fell in love with the campus. And so uh, that's So you went there. there. Awesome. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, b- before jumping in on our topic today, which is going to be about uh, Christian education in the church, um, Tiffany, I know you a little bit uh, personally. One thing I know about you is you are a voracious reader. Uh, you read a lot of books. I love to read. So is there a story behind that? Are, are, have you always been a reader? Is there a particular yeah. reason you like reading so totally. much? Totally. Always. I remember when I was little, I shared a room with my older sister who was seven years older than I was. And she was wonderful and loud and messy and took up a lot of space. And so I remember um, to kind of, I was very introverted. And so to get away from the loudness and the chaos, I would go into our shared closet where there was a light and I would put pillows all around and I would just read for hours. And so Mm. I think maybe it began as a way to kind of escape the the good chaos of our shared life together. Um, But I have found... Yeah, I have found just such fun in both fiction and nonfiction. Mm. I, um, growing up, definitely fiction, and then once I hit high school, I moved to nonfiction, and and recently, um, as a forty-year-old, have moved back into reading fiction. So, um, I think it's just a great way to. I think right there's so many lives to live, and so mm. by we only get one, but by reading, I think we get to live a lot of different lives. So. Yeah, is there a particular genre that you? enjoy a lot? Oh, I mean, you know, maybe this is, I do read a lot of, well, right now, nonfiction and so leadership nonfiction or, you know, Christian theology, different yeah. things. So maybe that's super nerdy. Pretty, but, pretty but, typical yes, pastor. But I there, do yeah. love like Reese Witherspoon's fiction book of the month. So that's where <laughs> I, that's where I go for, for pleasure. So very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we'll, we'll talk a little about uh, later on the role of at least, uh, being a lifelong learner in yeah. um, spiritual formation. So um, so jumping in, I thought it would be helpful to just get a sense of what brought you into this line of work. Yeah. Um, so basically, how did you find, find your way into the vocation of a pastor, yeah. and particularly a pastor of spiritual formation? Right. What an unusual mm. uh, place that I'm in. I think if you would have told my 10-year-old self that this is where I would be, they wouldn't know what to do with that. Mm. So um, I didn't really grow up in the church, uh, became a Christ follower, in middle school, um, but in high, pretty soon, right? I began to uh, just be so fascinated by uh, 
Christian's relationship with the Bible. I thought it was interesting, like that they read it every day and that every Sunday we're opening it and teaching it, teaching out of it. And it just seemed like the sacred book. And so began reading it myself and then then wondered how what other people thought of it. So I, I began a um like kind of a Bible study, which I didn't really know mm. that's what it was, but in, in my high school, inviting other Christians from other churches who um I wanted to hear what they thought of it, right? And so um so did that. I think I was so interested in how people grow and how people are formed from the very beginning. Um went to campus, um, went to college, was a part of a campus ministry again, really enjoyed that experience, meeting with younger students, um, learning about how their culture and how their family and how their church background has kind of influenced where they are and and what questions they were wrestling with. Um, Loved it so much. I went on staff at a campus ministry for a few years. And again, um, where I think that's where God was continuing to grow, that um, my love for environments of growth and, and what does it mean for, what does it take for somebody to be open to what God has for them in their lives? Um, you Did know, you feel you, a particular calling to college students? or I mean, I thought so. Age? I think yeah. it's because that's where, that's who I was and that's mm. where I was at. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll be, you know, a college pastor. Mm. Uh well, not a pastor because mm. that wasn't in the in the denomination that was a part of. That wasn't really an option. So I didn't really maybe know what I wanted, but but I did begin to sense that that maybe God had something like that in mind. And so I ended up going to Asbury uh, Theological Seminary again, where um, I, I love the Bible, but I felt like you know what I do love the Bible, and I think that my natural learning can take me far in that kind of on my own or reading different things, but. I had experienced all throughout college um, just maybe some people, some leaders in my life who were making what I thought were kind of poor leadership decisions. And I could see how it was impacting the growth or not growth of the people in our communities. And so um, and so when I went to seminary, I, I thought I need to learn how organizations work, how systems work, how um, all these things work so that I can make better choices because the, the leaders in kind of our community were they were making these decisions out of the out of really good intent. I think mm. they were really doing the best they had with the knowledge that they had, but um, I just don't think they really had taken the time to understand how organizations work and, and some of the kind of leadership parts of it. So so that's why I ended up studying um, and uh, came out of that. I was, by the time I graduated, I had three kids under the age of four. And so I ended up staying at home for a while um, while my husband did grad school. Um, then we ended up moving here to Madison. My husband was uh, studying at the university, education policy. Uh, and as soon as my kids, most of them were in school, I felt like, okay, Lord, this is time. What are we going to do? And um, so there was a job opening at Blackhawk. And I thought, well, I've never like this is this was my church and we were a part of it, but you know, we had always been a part of kind of small churches and campus ministries. And so I wondered, uh, I don't know, what would it be like to work at a church? Mm. Um, so I was uh, I actually my first job was on the spiritual formation team uh, and then had a variety of roles like you had mentioned when um, you joined, yeah, on that team. Did you understand it in? Did you understand what spiritual formation was? I think that's absolutely not. Okay, because that's a term <laughs> I think not. that that yeah. has a sort of it's a churchy yeah phrase. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what was that like? Sort of entering into this particular way of thinking about yeah. spirituality and yeah. education and all that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it was a word that was kind of newer actually mm. at the time as well because I think 
traditionally maybe I thought of as discipleship. And mm. I and I think that's what many right. people, even in our congregation, had considered that's the word that you use. And so um, I remember when um, I first came on the team, um, the the pastor of spiritual formation at that time, you know, would sometimes share with me like, oh, some people are a little uncertain about the use of this term. They don't understand it either. So he spent emails and conversations over coffee explaining, oh, no, this is another word for discipleship and um, it's about our, our growth. And so I did have context for that. Um, so I did have context for kind of the Christian education world um, mm-hmm. is maybe what it had been called in some of the churches that I was a part of in college and um, in youth group. And so um, so I did have a context for that. And, th- and that's always been my heart is um, how, I mean, I do want people, obviously, to come to know Jesus, uh, but often I feel like God has used me in the process of, after they've come to know Jesus, to to begin to develop them um, mm. in their relationship with God. And that even even the word discipleship, that might be uh, a churchy word too, in, totally. in some sense. So what, um, yeah, what's entailed by that? So I, I can imagine someone who's unfamiliar with that term, or maybe it's used differently in different traditions, might think of like, uh, some type of mentor relationship is is the key to disciple making disciples. Oh, yes. Jesus had disciples. Maybe sure. I need to, or it's like around certain disciplines, a related word. It's yeah. um, where maybe in a legalistic sense, these are the things you do to be a good Christian type thing. Yeah. So when you when you're using the word mm-hmm. either discipleship or spiritual formation, what's sort of the what's the elevator pitch for for what that yeah. is? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of say it's it's learning to walk with God. In our daily lives, and so I think there is different forms that discipleship can take, and that different people are like you had mentioned are familiar with. I grew up in a campus ministry. One-to-one discipleship was what—that's how you were discipled. That's how you grew. That's um, uh, right. Other people kind of focus on maybe a Sunday school experience where there's an expert or a teacher in the room, and you're listening and you're having conversations and digesting the material. But I really do think it's how are you. How are you becoming more and more um, formed into the image of Christ? And I would say more and more into the image of who God created you to be. So I don't think we're all supposed to look cookie cutter uh, Mm -hmm. in the exact same way, but um, it's all contextualized into how we're wired and what culture uh, we grew up in and um, the giftings that God has gifted us with. And so, um, yeah, I would say that's my... Yeah. And I think... um and maybe this is this is something that's come up in a few of our conversations around education, is there's an a, assumption that education is really a head thing, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like intaking information and learning new facts and ways to interpret things. But as I've understood spiritual formation, it's trying to be, I guess the word is holistic or something. Yeah. It's thinking of, um, you know, heart, mind, soul, strength uh, altogether. Um, is that how you think about it too? Absolutely. And, you know, I, yes, I would say that, Oftentimes, I would say even in maybe in my limited church experience, having really not really entered the you know the church world until until middle school or high school, um, I have experienced uh, this idea maybe that um, edu- even Christian education or education or spiritual form- discipleship is head based. Mm-hmm. Like if you know something, then that means your life will be different. And so I do like the the nuances maybe of the spiritual formation movement where you know. There is this author, um, his name is John Mark Comer, and he talks about how spiritual formation is less like learning math and more like learning karate, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea that it takes both knowledge and practice uh, to really know something. Um, And so I think that, um, right, that, yes, spiritual formation 
is more than just belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but that belief is a huge part of shaping our desires and our practices and how we kind of show up in the world around us. Right. Yeah. Um, so we, 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 uh, we didn't actually finish your story. I, I cut you off when you had joined Blackhawk. Oh, yes. Um, but you weren't yet the pastor of spiritual formation. Right. So what was it like to, to sort of uh, become the, pa- sort of yeah. the, the head of the ship of that I part know, of the church? I know. That was church. fun because, I mean, maybe I didn't say this before, but my first role on team was an assistant role. Mm. And so I remember just, you know, kind of being like, I don't know if I have time to even work outside the home, you know, as mm. my kids were all little and stuff. And so I was able to, to watch um, to watch the team, to watch my boss at the time, who was the pastor of spiritual formation, to make decisions, to figure out how he's talking about it. And I think it was such a gift to me to be able to see somebody else do it before mm-hmm. I stepped in. But um, I, I, like you had said, I after being on that team, I went downtown and was associate pastor downtown. And I began again, still began to help people to figure out how to live this out. So my job here, I spent so much time with our congregation over coffees, talking about where they were getting stuck in their relationship with God, how they could discover their gifts, how how they could be a part of the life of the body in different ways. And so so I think even though I was on a different team, I, I, was, I was doing a lot of the implementing of it, helping to see how what the decisions that that team was making, how it was showing up in the daily mm-hmm. lives of our congregation and of our community. So um, so when I so when I came on um, as pastor of spiritual formation, it was um, it was I had the conversation early March 2020. So right before the pandemic oh, hit, yeah, and I remember like three days later, it was like, okay, and this is not going to be the job I thought because <laughs> what are we doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it has been so fun because I think that um, being a part of the Blackhawk community. Um, I, I was aware of some of the things, some of the ways that we were praying that our community would move in. And so to be able to be a part of the creation of some new things that we had been dreaming about for years was really exciting um, for me. So you, you've mentioned um, having a lot of coffees and, and other things um, as part of the job. Yeah. I, I think people outside the church world often wonder, like, what does a pastor do? What like does on a pastor do? <laughs> <day-to-day laughs> totally. I get that question here at Upper House yeah. a lot. Uh, what, what do you do all day? Yeah. Um, yeah, my wait, husband asked me that. What do you do all day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what does a pastor yeah. of spiritual formation yeah. do um, at a church like Blackhawk? Yeah. So in this role, um, because it's a, maybe a little bit of a larger church, I have um, one of my big roles is I lead a team of incredible people incredible people who are thinking about different areas of formation for our church. And so um, we kind of think of the spiritual formation world as an ecosystem um, for our church. And so we're we're watching kind of the different areas. So there's, um, there's what we do on Sunday mornings, right? That's a huge part of our ecosystem. There's uh, community life. So in what we call community groups. Um, so that's a big part. We have Bible study and courses, which the courses are new that we're doing this year is um, that's our learning arm or we're helping people to understand scripture and understand theology in, in new ways. Um, and then we have um, kind of a serving component where we're helping to, to mobilize and get people connected to serving opportunities as another way of them expressing uh, their life with God. Mm. So um, let's move to that. So the, yeah. the, the church has a number of ways it's, it's thinking of spiritual formation um, how does education fit into that? And um, I'll let you define education however you want. Great. But I think there's um, 
Uh, you just mentioned service as another yeah. role. So service would be, in my mind, sort of distinct from an education setting. Yep. I think what we're trying to understand here in this series is how do churches play sort of an educational role yep. in the life of, of so many Christians yep. um, in their community? Yep. So, yeah, how do you think about education in the context of formation? Yeah, um, I think for us, we have an arm that's kind of dedicated to that. So we kind of we have um, we have three buckets, if you will. So we connect, which is more the community, the relationship aspect. We have learn, which is our courses and our Bible study and then serve, which is um, that arm. And so uh, for us, it looks like how do we help people in our local congregation uh, to move in places, into places that we um, that we are recognizing the Spirit moving us in. And so I think, you know, there's the basic education that, that churches offer things, um, Theology 101, how to study the Bible, um, introduction to spiritual practices, you know, things like this, and which are really important and probably are going to happen in the church more than they might happen elsewhere. Um, but we also have these other areas that we sense that God is moving us in the congregation towards. And so we see the opportunity uh, for us to really concentrate our this education in a way that's going to help form people in that direction. And so maybe an example of yeah. that. Uh, so at Blackhawk in particular, we believe that God is calling us to be a multicultural community. And so some of the choice so we, we have to make choices every day that's in all of our different kind of areas of ministry that's going to move us in that direction and so for us you know we are going to have to make the decision um, to create spaces for people from different cultures and ethnicities to come together intentionally uh, to talk about different topics or uh, we're going to provide opportunities uh, for uh, white people to explore their identity uh, their white identity if they've never explored that before and to be able to to wrestle with some of those ideas uh, before moving into a multicultural space. And so um, we're going to talk about, we're going to have specific deeper dive conversations as to um, what does it mean for crossing boundaries to be a spiritual practice? Like mm -hmm. how do we do that together as a community? And so, so that's just one example. But um, so I think there's those, those general, those general areas, but then also the particular areas that, that God's calling a particular local body to grow in. Right. When when you think about these general areas, um, something like a, you know changing a church's culture to be multicultural yeah. or something like that, um, are you looking to? Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of like the way even the curriculum would develop oh, in yeah. that. Are you, um, are you personally reading a bunch of books and then like sort of yeah. developing a perspective? Is it? Um, are there sort of networks of churches that talk about this stuff? Is it consulting a seminary um, yeah. where this might be, there might be a scholar of, um, I don't know, multicultural ministry or something like that? Like how, do, how yeah. does it, how, how's the internal working of yeah, developing? The, totally. Well, it's definitely a collaborative process. Yeah. And so our team in particular, we have an amazing teaching, um, lead teaching pastor who we work closely with. And um, we have a multi for, for this example in particular, yeah. right? Yeah. We have a multicultural team who is learning and, and who is, knocking on other churches' doors to say, hey, how did you do that? Tell us about the early years. Um, there's conferences, networks of churches who are in the trenches doing this kind of work. And so they get together every other year and we, we go to that conference to say, what are you learning? How do we help our congregation to continue to grow? And we are reading so many books. Right. Um, uh, 
a, a lot of us are reading a lot of different books. And so sharing with each other, what are we learning? Uh, we do some experiments. And so a few years ago, we did um, these race and faith learning groups. And so that was our attempt. It's a basically a book club, but uh, we put out 10 different books, uh, all having to do um, with race and ethnicity and the church. And so we said, hey, sign up for these. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. And so for a lot of us, we weren't very much further ahead than our congregation, but we were saying, let's learn together. Let's be on this journey, this process. Um, none of us have arrived, but we think that the the learning together part that uh, is an important piece of this as well. So we continue to experiment. We continue to do things. But um, but for the most part, if I'm able to even kind of expand it out, it is. It's a lot of talking with other churches. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of um, having conversation amongst ourselves, you know, um, experimenting, smarting, uh, starting with small groups, trying something once and realizing, I mean, people said this was going to be a good idea, but we actually don't <laughs> think this curriculum is really landing. So let's try something different right. um, before we before we expand to the kind of wider church community. And as as people are listening, I mean, if it if it's not clear, Blackhawk's a pretty large church. It has a uh, big staff, so you yeah. have like a lot of you know people to yeah. bounce ideas off of, yeah. and a lot of opportunities to experiment. I wonder if you could just reflect on what are the benefits and drawbacks of a large church like yes. this, because I think there's both. There's sort of the ability to do certain things. There's also certain challenges when yeah. you have thousands of people that you're you're trying to serve. Yeah, absolutely. I always talk about. You know, right, because there there, there's small church challenges and there's big church challenges. And I tell our interns when they're kind of talking about this, I said, you're going to have problems either way. You have to choose what kind mm. of problems you're excited about <laughs> or willing to help overcome, right? Yeah. So so I think, um, you know, being a large church, things can move slow mm. um, and that's hard. There's, um, right, if there's thousands of people who are trying to move in a direction, man, that's tough. And, uh, you know, as you're leading and you're hearing feedback from different groups of people, you begin to question whether you're doing the right thing. Um, you're thinking about all the different stages of faith and stages of life. And sometimes to try to meet each kind of group where they are, it feels like it can take forever. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is one of the hardest things. You have to have a lot of tenacity. Um, you have to realize things are going to take a long time you're going to have you're realizing that you're not going to make everybody happy mm. and so whether it's something like race or it's something um very different uh people aren't going to like or agree with the kind of the choice that you're making uh another hard part about christian education maybe and a big church uh is that sometimes you can feel like you have to go there's a temptation to feel like you have to go lowest common denominator, mm. like low shelf discipleship, because yeah. there's always going to be people who are new, newer in the faith and going to need to learn and not going to be ready for these bigger conversations. And so, you know, it's it's not a secret that, um, you know, I've had many conversations of Blackhawkers who's, Black who've been around for 10 years, 12 years, and they have said, um, uh, you know, I feel like I've outgrown I've, and and that's you know outgrown Blackhawk, and that's a common large church problem. Right. It's not just our problem; it's 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 a common um, large church problem. And so, because what they're saying is, oh, this kind of low shelf discipleship, which is intentional, really great for new believers, young Christians growing in their faith, but you kind of hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And so, what what do I do? How do I grow? And so, that's a big challenge that we are our team's excited about, and um, that we're working to overcome. You know, but I would say in small churches. Uh, I think, right, some of the benefits are that you um, 
you're able to dig in a little deeper. You're mm-hmm. able to to move a congregation a little faster. You're able to um, to do things a little more intentionally sometimes. And um, it's yeah, it's it's easier to get people moving and, and engaged. And so, um, but yeah. So yeah, but, I think it's right that you, yeah. you sort of pick your poison. Yeah, uh, you really that. do, right? Yeah, what excites yeah. you and what are you willing to live with for, you know, your careers in, yeah, what, in ministry? One challenge, just as someone who's been a part of yeah. many large churches, um, that I noticed too, and it, it goes right along with what you were saying, which is that a lot of large churches, like the the sort of the orientation of the churches toward growth yeah. and, and sort of the success mark, the metrics of success are like, are more people coming? Are more people... Um, you know, sort of becoming members, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it can lead to what you were talking about, which is an emphasis on sort of the new person, this, 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 the non-Christian and yeah. bringing them in, yeah. which of course is, I agree with, um, but it does leave um, a different type of growth, which might be a growing deeper or yeah. sort of a more discipleship model for yeah. the people who are already there and have been there. Absolutely. Um, and I wonder if that, so you've already identified that tension. Has that has thinking changed uh, in the last few years on that? Um, yeah. Just based on COVID, and uh, I know a lot of churches are sort of rethinking basic uh, strategies and things 100%. like that. One hundred percent. I mean, right? I think for many of us, small and large church, you kind of saw what happened to your church congregation uh, when COVID hit. Right? At, at first, people were excited to. I mean, in our case, to be online, right, to do church in a new way and, you know, decide to be there for each other and continue to be in small groups and figure that out. But over time, um, as as that kind of the months waned on, we, we saw a lot of people kind of step away and we saw that they they were stepping away from the Sunday morning church experience. And that's what they thought they were only stepping away from. But then they actually you talk to them later on and just stories after stories of like, actually, I just kind of stopped following Jesus altogether, right? And so they had, for many people, unknowingly, and in and, and our church, right, we, we had substituted a life with God and this uh, their spiritual growth, their spiritual education, you know, Christian education, if you will, we were just kind of all putting it in all of our eggs in kind of one basket mm. was the Sunday morning worship experience, teaching, you know, ex- and realizing maybe, you know, as this really tough time kind of was a, kind of like a pressure cooker in people's mm-hmm. lives, you kind of saw maybe the kind of Christ followers we had been forming. Mm. And I think for many churches, we kind of was a little wake up call and um, pretty determined, I think many of us on the other side to um, to spend that time uh, digging deeper, helping um, people in our congregations uh, to to really focus on more than just the Sunday experience, but but their, but their life with God and being able to, to talk about some of the things um, theology, you know, d- different things to help them to ground ground them better. So, and so that it sounds like that would put sort of the spiritual formation framework sort of more central to what the church is called to do um, yeah. in the sense that um, if there's a realization that that people aren't being formed the proper way in the old way. Yeah. Then it's the spirit. Is that sort of the spiritual formation sort of the answer, at least the proposed answer? Yeah, to yeah, how- I do think so. I do think it's like helping. And I think seeing again like this ecosystem that like yeah. this the sunday morning experience is important and it has a place but it it can't it can't hold everything mm-hmm. and so yeah being able to more robustly build these other um, areas helping people to see the value uh, of engaging in this way oftentimes what this our team a spiritual formation looks like a a Monday through Saturday faith, like like mm-hmm. like what happens in between church, you know, when you gather on a Sunday morning, and so 
um, that can be tough sometimes, even after COVID, to to um, convince people that it's worth their time and it's worth reordering their whole lives around. Um, but I also think that I I think that's okay. I think mm-hmm. that um, you know the call of Jesus in our lives to be disciples is is a hard call sometimes, and so it's a choice that we all have to make of. How are we going to be choosing to walk with God and how are, what are we going to give our mind space to and our energy and our time? And so, um, yeah, so I think and it's okay. You know, when, you know, uh, one of the things that we talked about when we started creating these courses and different things is often with large churches, it's, okay, we have to have a certain number of people to come to this event to make it worth it, to make mm-hmm. it worth our time. But we have totally, um, that is not our thinking at all. We said if there are some of these courses, if there are five people who are showing up to this course because they want to learn how to study the Bible, it is going to be worth our time. And we're going to do it despite, it doesn't matter how many people show up, like with the people who are showing up, these are the people that we're going to be pouring into, that we're going to be um, discipling because we believe that uh, the church isn't just like a come and see kind of orientation. And because that has been a lot of the tractional large church model, but instead I kind of talk about the go and be like we are going to be um, discipling people so that they are out in their workplaces and in their neighborhoods and they're able to live their life with God in front of people on a way that um, that makes sense to the people around them. Mm. So. This reminds me of, uh, as someone who's a historian and, and thinks about yeah. these things in sort of historian terms, there there was a phase, and Blackhawk was a part of this in the 90s and 2000s. Mm. It was, it was one, of, one of the heights of the church growth movement, which was a certain way of thinking about church to sort of grow the people coming in. And there was a, a lot done there, uh, but there was a response to that, which was the missional church movement and, and the sort of uh, the, the contrast you just said about like bring people in versus sending people out. Like yeah. that was one of the core differences between those two sort of uh, frameworks. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how the, those frameworks sort of work themselves out in very particular ways yeah. in the programming that a church does and where they put emphasis if they're willing to have a five person class versus this must have 100 people for it to be worth yeah. our time yeah. or, or whatever. Um, but it it's interesting to see how um, that that sort of missional church movement that was pre COVID that was like I the, that, the yeah. 2010s or so or 20, 2000s 2010s, um, but it seems like it it sort of is is fit for the moment um, yeah, the, the sort of post twenty twenty moment absolutely so like, yeah. and I think for us in particular we're we're when, like can we do both I think mm-hmm. that's our big like mm-hmm. can we do both like mm-hmm. can we be a place that um, where people who are not Christ followers are going to feel um, comfortable where they're going to be intrigued or they're going to hear um right the gospel share in a way that makes sense to their ordinary normal lives that aren't church you know not in the church world or but at the same time can we also build um build disciples and i and i think the answer is yes um and i think it like we said kind of creates an ecosystem and so i think maybe in one or both of those models you kind of different parts of your ecosystem are dying and so how do you give how do you tend all those parts Right. Uh, can we right. do it? I don't and know. Help I work guess with each other. Yeah, this is the great yeah. experiment that yeah, many right. of us are in right now. So that's right. That's yeah. right. So Tiffany, I wonder if you could just talk a bit about how you see what you're doing at Blackhawk in relation to all the other educational options that might be available for someone. Everything from YouTube videos that they can watch yeah. about the Bible or something, yeah. um, or about church history or something, to formal uh, seminaries and and other things. And yeah. I'm sure at, at a place like Blackhawk, there's people going sort of dabbling in all those different things at different levels. Um, yeah, how do, you, how do you see your your work sort of in relation to that spectrum? Yeah, you know, I, I do think that probably 85, 
85% of our church, um, we probably are the sole place that they are getting Christian education. Mm. And so when I say that, it's actually surprising maybe that I haven't maybe had that thought before. But for the most part, um, you know, we have found that many people in our congregation, right, they're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Many of them, maybe 40, 50 percent of them are raising children. Um, Others are even we have a a large tech company, you know, close Mm -hmm. by. They're working even more hours than that. And so the amount of free time is that outside Mm -hmm. of work and outside of family that people have to give uh, to their own education is slim. Mm -hmm. And so I think I feel like we are fighting for the most part. Um, we're fighting against those other kind of factors to, to help people to, to value this. And so um, and so, so most of our congregation doesn't have time to engage in a seminary level course. Um, but I mean, we do try to, to kind of point people in different directions. Um, Bible Project is a big one. They have courses. Um, actually that they do seminary level courses that that we encourage people to to go after if they um, if, if they want that but for the most part I find that people they're not going to uproot their lives to and and pay for this great university level right, right. Um, or a seminary level education um, I am actually really thankful for upper house because we we it's been a resource that we've been able to push kind of that, 10% to that that do want to be challenged in their thinking, that they do want to think about ideas outside of their everyday, maybe what they come across in their everyday life. Um, and so it's been a gift for us to be able to, to have a resource to be able to push people towards. But I would say in general, um, we're kind of it. Yeah, so, so you're thinking about, when you're thinking about education, it's really like uh, uh, more or less assuming that whatever you say is going to be sort of the totality of what yeah. um, many people... Is there any, is there ever, maybe this is just, you, you do this privately, um, maybe you don't do it publicly, but, um, you know, we, I totally agree with you that people are busy, I'm busy, kids, all that kind of stuff. You know, we do know the stats of like how much time people spend on phones, how much time they watch Netflix and Mm -hmm. other streaming things. And it's like, you know, people make choices about, (laughs) people make choices and, and those choices often, as we've been talking about, sort of lead to certain habits that form you in certain ways. Is there ever sort of the prophetic edge where. Um, you just wish people would spend more time uh, Absolutely. <laughs> educating themselves. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, if I could point the finger at myself, right? Yeah, sure, I mean, sure, I, on Sunday yeah. mornings, it's so funny. If you have an iPhone, it's actually probably during the Sunday morning church service, if you're attending that, is that you get your uh, report for the week. Uh, so mm. we're all like, <laughs> ding, right during the sermon. We're like, oh, wow, I have spent a lot of time on my phone, right? So, right. I mean, even for myself, I see this. but um, And I actually think that's something we do talk to our congregation about. Mm. Uh, I think just this maybe a past week or two, right, or, or one of our um, teaching pastors, right, saying like, hey, to be honest, if you have two hours to like sh- – just to scroll on your phone, you have time to get into scripture. You have yeah. time to watch a bio project video. You have time to read a book. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we do for each of our sermons is that we we have a series resource page where we put kind of some next steps if people want to dig deeper. So a book or a podcast episode or an article to read. Um, and so we do definitely encourage people in that way. But I would say for the most part, those things. Uh, aren't probably as utilized as much as as much as we wish that they were. But um, 
but when they are, it's so fun to hear mm-hmm. just kind of the conversations that come up uh, in our congregation. But right. Oh, and, and this might this next question might yeah. um, be restating a few things here. But what do you see are the biggest challenges to um, to your work yeah. uh, to, to educating yeah. the congregation? I think we've mentioned sort of time limitations yeah. uh, being one, but yeah. but what else? I mean, to be honest, I would say busyness is mm. the enemy of our spiritual growth as mm. human beings in America, in an overeducated city, I think um, that alone, I think, is the hardest thing. We are competing with uh, so many other things for people's time and attention. And it's hard to grow when you even say, okay, great, I have five or 10 minutes to to get like that's not like you know like the reflective life like like we grow when we reflect on our our experiences and what we're learning and when we don't have time in our lives to reflect i don't actually think that we're growing um in our lives with god and so i do think that that's the that's the biggest one yeah um well and that might get to um uh this question when uh, if you could snap your fingers mm-hmm. and sort of uh the, the congregation is sort of embodying a mature, yeah. spiritually formed. Yeah. What, what does that look like? What are, what are you sort of aiming for? Yeah. Uh, for the knowing that most of us will always fall fall short of, yeah. of the ideal, but what are you aiming for? Yeah, I think you know, I think the church um, being the body of Christ uh, in a real everyday lives in our real everyday lives where we are spending time with God and. Sp- spending time with each other, where we are reorienting orienting our entire lives um, around community and around um, doing good work in the world, um, but in ways that aren't frantic and mm. in ways that um, where we can trust um, that the work that we're doing is, is enough, um, where we're spending time in the evenings with each other, right, instead of scroll you know Mm -hmm. watching netflix because we're all really tired we've given all that we can um serving one another serving in our communities i think so much of what i do on our you know as i'm trying to help form people into the image of god what that it's it's for the good of our world it's Mm -hmm. for the sake of the mission like that's the that's actually the point that's um we become more like christ not to be better people but to to reflect god to the world and it's hard to do when we're not spending time with people um slowing down and, and having that space with one another and so um so that would be my dream yeah for our, our congregation <laughs> i wonder this is something that's attracted me to some of the spiritual formation literature is this like fundamental insight i think of dallas willard as yeah. someone who which is like um you as an individual within a community like there are things you can do uh to be more Christ-like, uh, just that that fundamental insight, which I think for a lot of Christians, they either just don't think that they think there's this unattainable goal, and I'm just going to sort of try to muddle through uh, and not really um, develop, or maybe some people assume we're just so sinful. There's just mm-hmm. like nothing. It's just about sort of um, asking for forgiveness over oh. and over, or something like that. And I think that that's what's been appealing to me about this particular way of thinking about formation, thinking about education, is um, there are things we can do as as individuals to um and and some of them are learning things but some of them yeah. are actually practices yeah. um that get us uh to to what uh, your yes. your vision is my um, goodness i mean yeah. right i think this is about 
living the abundant life that Jesus promises us. Like I, I you know, I think I think about there's a young woman in our congregation. Uh, she's a teacher, and just thinking about the way that she shows up in her public school educate, you know, as a public school educator, in a way that brings good to her class, that encourages, that, like loves. Uh, that makes really makes the world a, a better place, and which is so cliche. But I actually think how exciting, how exciting that that we get as Christ followers to impact the world today, and that the Christian life isn't a, it isn't it's like the most boring part of it. Maybe is about <laughs> forgiveness. It's mm. like what in the world? Like there's so much life mm. to be had and so much good work to be done. Not in like a difficult, hard way, but in a way um, that allows the people around us and ourselves to flourish. And so um, I hope that as people continue to grow, that they see that vision um, for for where God has for them, what God has for them. Well, um, you mentioned something just a few minutes ago about um, a sort of uh, what you fill your mind with. And I, I want to talk a bit about this is a little more conceptual, but um, uh, in, interested in as sort of a subset of spiritual formation is intellectual formation, mm-hmm. sort of the formation of the mind. Yes. And I wonder when, when I say that, the formation of the mind, like mm-hmm. like what? what comes to mind like yeah. wh- what do you think being formed in christ likeness in your mind is and i and j- just to sort of uh set the table yeah. i think two things that come to mind obviously for me one is like a certain set of truth or information mm-hmm. i guess um uh that could be part of the answer another would be sort of like virtues like humility and mm. curiosity mm. that would sort of no matter what type of information or knowledge you're looking at, yeah. would sort of just be like Christ-like ways of approaching oh, it. Yeah. So anyway, those are two things. Great. Um, but I wonder what comes to mind for you when you think of a mind in in the likeness of Christ. Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, I grew up in a denomination that uh, really is kind of known for being anti-intellectual, but in my local community was very intellectual. Mm. So I remember um, when I became a Christian, you know, these lay leaders would teach our youth groups these like really come like really fantastic like theological um you know just uh on different topics and and helping us to understand um kind of the nuances Mm -hmm. of uh different different views on different things so i think about when i think about the mind i think um like you said truth like being filled with um with with the knowledge um that we have in the bible that um, right, being able to be good students of the word and um, understanding um, the Bible's not written, you know, to us, but for us. So what does that mean? And being able to handle handle scripture and to handle different um, philosophical views, whatever, um, with maturity and with, like you said, integrity and curiosity and openness and also firmness of mind. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And it's interesting because even you talking about humility, different things, I it's funny because I think for me, I think those maybe being issues of the heart. And mm. so um, so I think for me, when I think about the mind, I think about information, um, but not just information, but um, information uh, connected in community. So mm. I think mm-hmm. of conversations. I think of being learning how to have conversations about things that are hard, um, being uh, willing to um to rethink again, right? To have these these open minds where we're able um, to hear what other people are think about different things and being sharpened sharpened in 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 the way that we're thinking. So, um, so for us, it looks like you know as we're as as we're creating courses, 
and, and Bible study, right? So it's it's being together in community uh, to be able to to learn from an expert, but also to learn from each other. And I think um, it's not right. It's not just the information, but it's how we process that information together in community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Community is such an important part. Um, you know, we said that here at Upper House too. That's sort of why we exist. But um, I think there's uh, there's often a model out there of like how education happens. That's very much like um, individualistic. Yes. Um, also, in, in an internet age, it's also like not even about a mentor or a teacher. It's just like I am adopting, you know, sort of grabbing yeah. information from the internet, and then I am suddenly knowledgeable about yep. a certain thing. Yep. So, um, I think the community part. Uh, I think that's also where, um, like, some of the the skills that I'm, you know, humility yeah. or curiosity or even like basic. I I would be so bold as to say, like, part of being formed in the likeness of Christ is like learning how to listen first before mm-hmm. speaking. Um, you know, things like that. Those are only going to be learned in a, in a social setting. Like yeah. you can't learn those if you're just sitting at home reading a book yeah. um, as much as reading books is awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, the community part really, really hits for me yeah. too, that that's education doesn't really happen in the full, full sense of the word yeah. unless you're in community. Because I think we're communal beings, right? Mm-hmm. I think there are actually our whole lives are, lived in community, whether it be community with God or community with others, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that there are people that we probably all know who are very smart people, um, right? And they have been formed in a certain way with some information, but but they're not fun to be around, right? They're <laughs> not, they're, they're actually, they're smart people who are kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not, not, in a, not in a mean way, but just um, information doesn't transform doesn't necessarily transform us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, so I think, you know, my undergrad was in education, middle school math education. So um, I have a philosophy of education, right, where it's, where knowledge is just one piece of education, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, uh, there's so much, so much more involved. Our feelings are involved in education. Our desire and our will is involved in education. Um, and so, because I think we're whole beings. And so I think, you know, the intellectual part is a huge part of who we are and important. Um, but sometimes I think it's hard to divide out where the intellectual ends, the life of the mind ends and something else begins. Yeah, well, l- let's go there. Um, I want to ask about, um, do you have a, a theology of, of education or a philosophy of education in this broader um, spiritual formation uh, context? Like, is there a way yeah. you're thinking about it as a pastor Yeah. Um, th- that you're hoping the yeah. people in your church sort of follow. Yeah. yeah. So I think that in the spiritual formation world, we call that the theory of change. And mm-hmm. so a lot of pastors have, you know, maybe have thought about that. What's, what's their theory of change? How do people grow? How do people change? How do people transform? And I think this is, um, and this alone is probably why I'm in this field, um, because I think that question has excites me like i am i've always been curious about that how do i change how do i grow how do other people change how do other people grow um and i think but it's also haunted me Mm. right and so when i think about different people in my life personally that i've loved and that have that maybe i've been disappointed in their lack of change or lack of growth or you think about some of these big public leaders these public moral failures and you know you begin, it's not just about the behavior or the failure. You begin, some of us begin to ask the question, okay, so if the Holy Spirit is real in our lives and if our, the, 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 the tell us the end goal is for us to become more and more like Christ, like what if, it, if change doesn't happen, what does that mean? <laughs> does it mean that we're not 
walking with God, how we thought we were, is doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't exist, that this thing is all, right? Like you can mm-hmm. go dark on this, but mm-hmm. so I think that's in some ways where it's haunted me. And but, um, um, but I think this question is one that many of us ask at one point or another, whether it be about our own lives or about the organizations or communities that we're in. But, um, but I think for me, it's kind of maybe in the spiritual formation world, there's kind of three big parts. Mm. For, um, so there's the, um, so there is the life of the mind, the teaching, um, what, what books are we consuming, what information, um, what, you know, scripture podcasts we're listening to, teachers that we're sitting under, um, that really shapes and forms us. I mean, you can look at any any area of study and you realize that who who you're studying under or what you're studying really shapes who you're becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's this other part maybe that I talk about. I don't know what it's how I would say it. Maybe just um, the idea of practices. So mm-hmm. these there's mm-hmm. these things traditionally, prayer, um, fasting, solitude, silence. There's so, so, so many, but basically it's the idea of um, how are we embodying the things that we're learning? How are we connecting with God um, in kind of an interpersonal way. And so I think that's another big piece. And then the third is relationships. And so this can include the people that we're with, um, our family of origin, um, all these things kind of shape our our inner beings as well. And so um, I think inviting, we as Christians have the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit, who is the great transformer into all of those areas of our lives. Um, And I think God works in those areas. and we partner with him in that, but he really does the heavy lifting of that formation. Um, and um, it's through those avenues that that were changed and transformed, educated, if you will. But yeah. but I also think it's super mysterious. Like there's so many, depending on who you read, they'll they'll give you different answers. But because I do think there's a mystery to it. And um, but at least we can point to those factors. And I think each of those, so sort of the the mind, the practices, the relationships, there'd be like different bodies of knowledge, like like sociologists versus philosophers versus yeah. those who would sort of emphasize different one of those based on sort of what what lens you're looking through so um uh it's just interesting to think about like those those categories break down in some of the ways we talk about um the rest of the world too not just spiritual formation oh, yeah. um and i think of even and and they obviously they all connect right and that that's probably the power of of that i think of uh, you know one thinker that's been influential for me in thinking about this is um is Jamie Smith, who, who, who sort of, you are what you love yeah, is, is his right. thing. And he talks about, you know, everyday liturgies, things yes. that we do, basically habits, yeah. but use it, calling them liturgies sort of makes you think about them a little harder. Yeah. Like, oh, that, that's more of a, <laughs> like I'm putting more um, value in something if it's a liturgy. Yeah. And, and how so much of a Christian's life isn't thinking great thoughts about the Trinity or something like yeah. that, but it is, what are the things you're doing every day? Yeah. Who are you spending your time uh, worshiping in yeah. sort of a, a general sense? Who are you learning from? Yeah. Um, and and these come down to like habits, like like just the the unthinking things you do every day. So suddenly you're in a world that's much less about um, the conscious mind and much more about sort of how your body uh, functions. But of course, you can't separate those things either. Right. So, and yeah. I, it is interesting thing because I do think our affections and our desires drive so much mm-hmm. of our lives. It actually, I think, drives what we give our minds to mm-hmm. as well. So right. I think I think they go back and forth. I think some people would say. Your desires affect, you know, one thing or your mind affects another. I think it's it does seem like it's all interconnected in a mysterious way. But um, but sometimes those like you said, those liturgies we give we pay no attention to. And it's, in fact, those things that are shaping us uh, more than anything else. Right. And uh, one of 
Jamieson's famous ones is is like looking at a football game and comparing it to a, a worship service and how like you do a lot of the same things. Um, you stand up, you cheer, you all focus in on sort of the action and uh, you're in a community. Mm -hmm. um, you get these like highs, like emotional highs, um, all that kind of stuff. And yet we treat one of those as sort of a throwaway entertainment thing and another mm -hmm. one is like a very serious encounter with God. And I, I think one of the interesting things that this whole sort of conversation moves to is understanding that both of those have the potential to form you as profoundly. Yeah. Um, they might not. I mean, it, it depends. But um, that sort of reorients a lot of, of how you think about what does it mean to, to live like Christ, right? There's not like these parts of life where you can just sort of check out and say, well, that's just entertainment. Um, it's not really affecting me or something like that. It, it's a sense that like everything we do um, is going to sort of be coming into the system yeah. <laughs> and, and affecting who we are and, yeah. um, and, and work on us in that sort of that, that question, the core question of like, what does it mean to, or how, how do people change? Yeah. I think a lot of how people change isn't actually, um, uh, well, it's not necessarily good um, how you change. And a lot of it is like these things that aren't the conscious things that, yeah. that um, we decide we are now changing. It's more acted on us. So I think the right, the challenge in it is to bring those unconscious things to the mm -hmm. conscious level. And it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of time, a lot of intention. And we're human beings who get tired. And so I think that's kind of the, the challenge yeah. of maybe being a human being right. <laughs> and trying to change. But I think in all those things, right, it's like, what is the end goal? Like who for, for a person who doesn't um, maybe doesn't have religious beliefs and they are totally great with becoming a fantastic Packers fan, right? Yeah. Like that. And it's not a bad, it's like a good, right? It's a part of their community and it's a part of their identity. And um, so I think as maybe um, as Christ followers, it's, you know, where, where is our eyes looking? Like, where are we wanting? And is every, you know, where are we wanting to go? And is everything in our lives moving us towards that or moving us away from that? And I think that is the mm. big question. Is there anything specific about Madison, which is mm -hmm. a pretty unique, uh, well, it's not that unique, but it's a, it's a city. It yeah. has a certain culture, yeah. big university mm -hmm. in town. Um, does that context uh, at all shape sort of how you think about spiritual formation and education? Yeah, I think that this is uh, a city who who values education. Um, we are a city who is, I think I read, is one of the most educated cities in America, right? There's a significant portion of us who have master's degrees or above. Yeah, I think it's per capita. We're one of the yeah. highest in the Yeah, country. right. So yeah. we value the mind. We value education. And so I think because that's who we are, then we, then we go towards that, right? So we providing these opportunities for growth, these seminars with expert leaders, with with expert thinkers, um, having good conversations, dialogues around important topics. I think um, I think that's an that's an easy way to go. I think I think some of the harder parts to get at are some of those maybe um, maybe rhythms, you know, and kind of people's everyday lives. If, if they believe that that what they think is is what they become, uh, that can be tricky because that, that is a part of it, but it's not the whole. So being able, helping people to see that there's more to themselves than kind of being a brain mm -hmm. on a stick. Um, and I think we know that intellectually as a community, but sometimes what we know and what we live um, are different. Right, yeah. right. In, in, in the ecosystem of, of the Christian world, of Christian education, uh, churches obviously play a really central role. Most Christians, um, somehow encounter a church um, yeah. more often than they would maybe a Christian college or a K through 12 school or a campus ministry. Um, how do you see uh, 
I guess there's two ways to ask the question. One, how do you see the church in relation to those? Um, another way to ask it would be, what are you hoping those parts of the ecosystem do to set people up well um, to be in a church and yeah. be formed properly yeah, uh, that's in a, a church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I do think that there's a lot of things that pastors are trying to do in a church. And so depending on your size, you have more or less bandwidth for different things. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the greatest gifts that we have as pastors to a congregation is to walk alongside people as they're walking with God in their everyday lives. And so, you know, I think it's great when we have the opportunity to do things like Sunday school classes or seminars or these courses. And that's very important. And that is our responsibility, I think, as a as a local church to be um, to say who who has God given us as a part of this local body and what do they need to grow. And I think we are we are primarily responsible for for mm-hmm. them, um, and so I do think that that is a big part. But I think about, um, but I think about all these other entities, right? Because because education is one part, but like sometimes, man, my week is walking with people who are grieving the loss of somebody, walking alongside a woman who is being physically abused, right? And how am I, how am I helping her to get the resources she needs in order to walk with that? It's um, people who are kind of just feeling unmotivated, stuck, dealing with mental health kind of um, challenges. And so that takes up a lot of life as a, as, as a church, as a pastor. And so what I really value about all of these other entities is that they can focus on something that maybe we can't always give all of our attention to. And so uh, maybe when we're weak in some areas uh, that they can come in strong and provide some of the most up-to-date research, you know, like um, biblical scholars at these universities, you know, can in these seminaries can can stay abreast of all of those things and, and can and can help can help us as pastors to to educate our our people but um also can be contributing to this greater this greater knowledge of um uh of different you know kind of the variety of things and so um so i think that the church is particular but i think we have a mission uh, a particular mission to caring for our people and to 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 be on mission in a very particular way in a particular place and um and and so sometimes um things like you know theology 101 might not make it to the top of our priority list but we are glad that there are other people um who do have that at the top of their priority list that we can point people to and and draw on that wisdom yeah and your your mention of the the seminary scholars um just probably wonder do do you think of uh, education differently when you're thinking about pastors themselves. So is there sort of a different regiment or a different sense of, of, um, of education for pastors as opposed yeah. to for sort of the yeah. rest of us, the lay people? That's a good question. Maybe in theory, I wish that I didn't, mm. but perhaps I do. Um, you know, as I think about uh, the, the responsibilities of a pastor and maybe the high bar of um, of having this knowledge and being having the responsibility of wielding it well, um, I think that I'm very like I think that pastors should be educated. I think that they should um, on a lot of different things, right? Being able to to wisely step into the lives of of people who aren't thinking about this all the time, who may not be super interested in learning about the Trinity or learning about uh, you know it's like I, they they don't care, but but how can but how can we as pastors 
help them to see where that intersects with their daily lives. And so so I get excited when I when there are lay people who who want the, kind of the quality of a seminary education and um, through the local church. And I and I find those people as as intellectual peers and is and, and so I, I welcome that. But but I do think that everybody doesn't have to be that way. Like that's not everybody's gifts or that's not everybody's focus. And they're, they're focusing on other things in the world that I have no idea about that I have no education in. And I'm guessing that they wouldn't hold me to that same bar um, that they have. But, but I do think um, for pastors, I, I, I think that we have big responsibility and we need to be um, wielding that responsibility. Well, yeah. Well, we'll end on this. I wanted to know, um, you know, what is one, of the things in the spiritual formation world that's sort of most on your mind these days? Sort yeah. of what's, what's the, what's the uh, issue or the most um, pressing problem um, that you're confronting in your work? Yeah, oh, there are, there are several. But mm-hmm. maybe one I would say that I've been thinking about recently, and I think it's important. I don't have a lot of answers for you again, on this, but um, but it's kind of the the intersection of spiritual formation and technology. I think that's super interesting. I think that depending who you talk to, there's many people who are in my world who would say tech, technology in the way when they say technology, they mean smartphone, social media, right? Internet, digital, uh, digital, technology. digital technology is yeah. what they would mean by that is kind of, right. It's the great enemy of formation. Um, so you see many people in my, in my world who get rid of cell phone, right? Like smartphones, but they take the TVs out of their house, which is like, gr- like great. Like I would say that's totally an option, but also I think that in order to but I don't know if that's the only option, right? So how are we formed? How do those technologies form us spiritually? Um, as as the church, how are we help asking good questions to help um, our congregation think about those things? Um, but also maybe even a more interesting one that, that maybe is coming down the pike pretty fast is AI, right? So like what does it mean to be human and how are these various um, kind of modes of artificial intelligence going to form us spiritually? I think that that's a fascinating question. Um, maybe a little bit scary, but mostly fascinating because I don't think we have to be afraid. But um, but I do think that that's yeah, something I find interesting. And Have you come across the uh, AI sermon generator? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so we were, we've, uh, I, I, I uh, sit on the teaching team. And so we've been playing around with it of mm-hmm. like, okay, write a sermon about such. And actually it's like not bad, but um but it's not good either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a, actually it's a good like starting point of some basic things, and then what we realize, oh, there's not a lot of emotion or <laughs> right, right, <laughs> or, yeah. uh, so right, anyway. sort of middle of the road. Yeah, uh, middle of the road. <laughs> I guess that's. Um, <laughs> I'm sure some busy, tired pastors are using. It. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a really interesting. Um, I think we've run into the question of technology in a few different conversations in this series. Hmm. related to education because it's so important to how education is being conducted now there's you know digital options for all types of education there's the same questions about smartphones and other things and how does that shape attention span and and learning styles um and i I think we're seeing the the same the same thing play out in the church maybe in a slightly different way um uh and and i think of i mean a lot of people we've talked to have been in higher ed so there's a particular way this is landing on college age students you know today yeah well thank you uh yes. tiffany this um, has been fun. thanks for talking to us about spiritual formation um i 
love talking about the conceptual and getting some practical as well. So thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming events on upperhouse.org and our other podcast, Upwards, where we dig deeper into the topics our in-house guests are passionate about. With Faith in Mind is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin, hosted by Dan Hummel and John Terrell. Our executive producer and editor is Jesse Koopman. Please follow us on social media with the handle at Upper House UW.